Welcome everyone to the eight. We are on part three of a series titled Elijah Rock. So I, I said it a couple weeks ago, but the reason why I say it that way, the way I want to sing it, is because one of my favorite songs in high school chorus was a song titled Elijah Rock. This is a song that's based from the 1860s. During the time of slavery, the slaves would want to hold on to any type of worship to get them through the pain and hardship and, and injustice. So one of the things they held, they held on to is a song titled Elijah Rock. You can look it up. I sang it the first week. I'm not going to sing it every week. But it's an awesome, awesome, awesome song about the person from the ninth century by the name of Elijah. This is an orthodox icon of Elijah. And here comes a person in the ninth century. There has to be something appealing about this man who has captured the attention of so millions of people throughout world history, from, from Jews to Christians and even Muslims, obviously. So, so it's captured the attention of so many people. But what is this man, Elijah, and what does he mean to us centuries later? So if you look at this icon here, you see, them, you see him kind of like in solitude by a ravine, and you see a raven there bringing some bread. So the, the, you know, the first part before we get to this icon here is Elijah was sent to, to, to deliver the truth. He came to deliver what is right, what is wrong, what is morality, what is ethics. And he came to deliver the truth to the king. And he said, King Ahab, it's cool what you do, but what you're doing is not, wrong, it's not right. Because what you're doing is not right, I'm going to hit it where, where it's going to hurt. The economy is going to be shut down for years, and there will be no rain on the land. And that's really where it hurts the economy to say, for Elijah to say it won't rain. Because of the morality of King Ahab in the entire country was drifting away. What became relative now became like everyone do what they want, everyone follow their own truth. And King Ahab being a messenger from God, I mean, sorry, Elijah being a messenger from God, Elijah said, enough is enough, I'm not dealing with this. Everything is going right. Everything, like he's on a high horse, he's on cloud nine, everything is going great for Elijah. He spoke to the king, he gave it to him. Then all of a sudden God says, super Elijah, did an awesome job, but I need you to chill. I need you to, to, to take a chill pill. I need you to hang out by this ravine. And I need you to stay there for 18 months. And one of the things for those who are in life groups, one of the questions that was brought up is, have you ever experienced where like everything is going great in your life and all of a sudden, boom, you get that email, you get that call, you get that hardship that comes your way. And then you were like, what, you know, how did this, where did this come from? And, and, and it hits us like a ton of bricks. And this is exactly what God is doing with Elijah. Why? And here, I mean, here's the context, the scripture. God tells him, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. Why? What, like, if God is doing an amazing thing through Elijah to bring back life to the kingdom of Israel, and is wanting to correct King Ahab, everything is going smooth, and all of a sudden, God says, that's enough, Elijah, I need you to have a seat. Why? Like, why would God stop such a good thing? We talked about this last week. God's priority is consecration, then healing. Like God's focus was to consecrate Elijah, set him apart, spend intimate time with him and God before we go and bring healing and before we make an impact. So many of us are always on the go, ready to go, ready to make a, a difference. But God's saying, okay, perfect. There is a time and there's a season for that. But my priority is you, your soul, you and me. I'm guilty of this. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. When hardship comes our way, what's our go-to thing to do? We scroll the next video, the next show to binge. 
the, the next restaurant, we, we, we go to Uber Eats and order something. We're, we're trying to find something to cope. And I'm mentioning mild things. What if it comes down to, 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 to drugs, alcohol, other habits, addictions? We're all tempted to move towards something to cope with a hard time in our lives. But how many of us, like let this be an encouragement for us. I need to set time with me and God alone, that quietness, that stillness. Phone on silent, just me and him. I need to consecrate myself. I need to set myself apart so God can do amazing things through me. God wants to set us apart, then bring healing and bring an impact to the world. But God is trying to teach Elijah a lesson and to remind us. Sometimes you gotta take one step back in order to go two steps forward. And this is where we pick up today. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go out once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. You've been chilling for 18 months. You haven't seen anybody and like you're spending time with God. And he's being empowered by God and spending time with him in this intimate way. And then God tells him, perfect. Now I need you to go to a foreign country, to a Gentile land. This is, the, here comes a, a culture, a group of people that it's not your type of people. I want you to go there. I want you to go to Zarephath. And not just that. I want you to sit down and, 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 and there's, you're going to meet there a widow. Here's some cultural uh, background. A widow, especially back then, the, they were at the bottom of a socioeconomic ladder. Like they were very vulnerable. Like widows, no one was there to take care of them. They were at a very vulnerable state. This is why liturgically when we pray, we say, the widow, the orphan, the traveler, the stranger. We're mentioning people who are in a very vulnerable state. Those who are, are looking for something more. So a widow, an orphan, a traveler, a stranger, just historically, liturgically, they're people at a, at, a, at a vulnerable state. So here is God telling Elijah, go to a foreign country. I'm pushing you out of your comfort zone. And not just that, you're there going to meet a widow there who's going to direct you on your next steps. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And she was going to get it. He called, and bring me please a piece of bread. And some translations say a piece of cake. So here, now, so he's going to Zarephath. And when he got there, he tells this woman, hey, do you mind bringing me some, some water? And while you're at it, do you mind bringing me some bread? Like, I, you and I don't do that. Like, we don't, like, you don't go to someone's place and say, hey, you might grab me some water and grab me something to eat. But here's Elijah going to this, this woman. She's a single parent. You know, shout out to single parents. It's a tough situation to be in, right? And so here, here she is as a widow with her son. And Elijah's coming out of nowhere and says, hey, like, you mind grabbing me some food and some water? Not to make this complicated. But this should, this should foreshadow someone else in the New Testament, Jesus, who asked of food. He asked for something to eat. So go along with this, this uh, comparison. Elijah and then Jesus. So Elijah here is asking for something to eat. How does the widow respond? As surely as the Lord your God lives, this is the widow saying this, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so we may eat it and die 
okay? I don't got what you want, all right? So just leave me alone. As you can see, like, this is a pathetic situation already. I'm just trying to grab a couple of sticks so I can just cook whatever I can for me and my son, and then we're gonna die in peace, all right? So I don't got what you got, what you want. What we should admire about this widow, her honesty, her transparency, she's being real. She's saying, okay, with, 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 with utmost honor to Elijah, as surely as the Lord your God lives. She's saying, okay, I respect your God. I respect you as, as a man of God, as a messenger. Cool. I, I, I have reverence for your position. But what you're asking for, I don't got. I don't, what, you're, what you need, I don't necessarily have. I'm in a tough situation. And she's very vulnerable of saying that, just saying, sorry, you know, it's kind of a bad day. Can you come back next week? Or, you know, may God be with you. She, didn't, she doesn't try to, you know, give a political answer. But she's honest. She's real about her inventory of what she has. And she's being so honest responding to Elijah. How does Elijah respond back to her? Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. Reflect this now to, if, if, if Elijah is a partial manifestation of God, fast forward to the full manifestation of God. Jesus, how many times did Jesus go and encounter people and he tell them, don't be afraid? How many times did Jesus go to people and say, go, do a task? Even just the disciples of Jesus. Jesus didn't go to the disciples and say, hey, you know, how are you doing, Matthew? You, you want to follow me? Okay, perfect, you know. And, and, no, what did, what, did Jesus, what did Jesus tell Matthew or any of the disciples? Go, come and see. He put them into action. Go and, and, and act, follow me. He put them into action. So, so our pursuit of something bigger than ourselves is not an intellectual thing by itself. It's not something we just believe in our heart, that's it. No, it's action. This is why Jesus pushed the disciples, says, okay, perfect, you wanna follow me? Cast your net, perfect, you wanna follow me? I need you to go here. He would put them into action to build that muscle. So here's Elisha testing the, the, the faith and trust of this widow and saying, okay, do what I'm saying, trust me and go, don't be afraid, and go and do what I am asking of you. I wrote down two points of two things that like, I admire about the, the widow. She's a hard worker. She's a super hard worker. Like whatever the task is in front of her, she's gonna do it. She's being open, she's being honest, and she's a hard worker, if say, just her and her son taking care of her, especially when she's at the bottom of a socioeconomic ladder and no one's there to kind of support her. And here she is being super honest. Her transparency, her being real and speaking the truth in love. How many of us try to avoid conversations? We kind of brush, you know, we try to go around it. We try to make it political. We over-spiritualize an answer to avoid speaking the truth in love. And here is this widow coming with utmost respect to Elijah and saying, I hear you. I know what you want. I don't got it. I'm in a poor condition right now. Me and my son, we're about to die but I can't help you. But Elijah pushes her to continue to give. Have you, don't raise your hand, but have you ever been pushed when you are, like you're already being pushed in so many things in life and then someone asks you for that extra thing and which you know you don't have the capacity for, but there's something itching you inside saying, should I do this? We've all been, in, I, I, and don't, again, don't raise your hand. We've all been in that position, I'm sure. We're, like we're already at capacity. But we feel this itch or tension within us of us giving more or doing this extra push to give of ourselves in some capacity or some form. And here's Elijah, uh, the widow, in the exact same position. In other words, what is Elijah asking this widow, uh, the widow? 
What do you got? What you got? Tell me what you got. And okay, don't be afraid. Go and do as I am asking. Elijah, a representative of God, is asking the widow, come and bring what you got. I hear you. Thank you for being honest and transparent. But let's do something together. You're honest with your inventory, but let's do something together. You and I find ourselves in the, in the feet of this widow. You and I might feel we do not have that much to offer. You and I might struggle with what's my value? What's my worth? What's my purpose? But here is Elijah cheering her on and saying, give me what you got. <laughs> what you got? We give to God what is in front of us. Leave the rest to God as far as what he does after that. It's our responsibility to give what's in front of us, what we, are what we have been entrusted with, we give that to God. What God does with that, after that, that's on him. That's his department. That's not our job. But how many of us, we, find, we justify why I shouldn't give, why I shouldn't do that. Oh, it's a busy season right now. Uh, I hate to break it to you. Every season of life is a busy season, okay? Every season of life is a busy season. So the, the whole idea, this is a busy season, things will get better, I, I fell into that trap too many times. And my wife bought, bought it in the beginning, but then we realized I'm fooling myself and I'm fooling her. There's no such thing. No such thing as a busy season. Every season is a busy season. Every week is a busy week. We give to God, and what he does from it from there, leave that up to him. That is his department. And here is this bold, wise widow coming to bring what she has. And, 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 and Elijah is cheering her on to leave the rest to God. I want us to assess the posture of the widow, our posture as first century Christians, liturgically, and then paraliturgically. Paraliturgically is a made up word, just means like outside of liturgy. What is the posture of this woman? She gives what she has in front of her. It seems like nothing, but she gives what she has to Elijah, a man of God. She gives what she has and leaves the rest to, to what will God will do with it. She leaves that to God's department. This is her posture. An ancient form of worship is the divine liturgy that has existed from the 33 AD, though we see this ancient form of worship. What liturgically do we see? What's our posture when it comes to divine worship? We are offering to God what is his. Think of just the text that we say. We offer unto you what is yours. We offer to God what is yours. There is an enemy whispering in our ear saying, you know, I don't have that much to offer. I don't have that much value. I don't, I don't have really gifts like that person. There's always going to be a whisper in our, in our head trying to get at us. But I'm telling you, your heavenly father threaded you together in a beautiful, intentional, delicate way to make an impact in this world. Who are we to say, no, 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 that's, that, that's not going to make that much of an impact. Who are we to say that? If we do that, then we have made ourselves God. I have made myself God. I'm the one that determined what's going to make an impact or not. Who are we to say? If we do our part, leave the rest to God. We say this liturgically. Offer in order. The deacon reminds us, offer in order. Stand with trembling. Look towards the east. Let us attend. What is the deacon giving us a suggestion of, of, of what our posture should be? Offer. Not to bore you with history, but when this part, when we pray this in liturgy, offer in order, stand with trembling. In the, in, in, the, in the first few centuries, this is what people would bring to, to, to church their offering, their finances, uh, their flour, their cattle. They would bring things, and they would offer it. And actually, they would bring it to the altar. 
So, th so there's manuscripts that, that say that when, when the deacon would say offer in order, this is when people would come to the altar and offer what they have and they would give it to God. But how many of us come and as a, a very consumeristic mentality? What's in it for me? That's not faith in action. That's not how we can become followers of Jesus intentional. It requires us to offer in order. Stand with trembling. Look towards the east. Look toward new life. Let us attend. The deacon is giving us a command. Let us offer. What are we offering to God? Paraliturgically, this made-up word here, paraliturgically, what should that look like for you and me? Yes, liturgically, we see how the church throughout the centuries encourages us to offer what we have. Because what we have is not really mine. I'm giving it back to what I have been entrusted with. I give that back. So this is what the church tells us liturgically. How's, how about outside of, of liturgy? If you look back at the, the, the manuscripts of the first century church in the book of Acts, you see that in Acts chapter 3, there was a paralyzed man, and he was asking for something from the disciples. And, uh, and the disciples said, silver and gold, I, I don't got. I don't got cash for you. But what I do have, I give you in the name of God. So he, they, they said, what you're asking, I do not have, but I will give you what I do have. Another example. A very common supernatural event recorded by all four gospel writers. Jesus sees a, thousands of people attending his sermon. They're hungry. But then Jesus tells his disciples, hey, can you give them something to eat? What did the disciples say? We got nothing here except this kid's lunchbox. We got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, perfect. We give what is ours. Not even ours. We give what we have been entrusted with. And then see what God will do from there. He's asking just for five loaves and two fish. He's asking for the little that we do have. We give that to him. Give us of our time. Give us of our finances. And let me talk about finances because everyone is always scared like, oh, we're talking about finances in church. Let me be real. You trust God. You trust God uh, that uh, the, the axis of the globe, of the world, whatever, is like at the right angle because you trust him. Because you know if it was off by 0 0.05 degrees, like we're all going to fall off. You trust him. You trust him that there's going to be oxygen in the air. It's e what am I saying? It's easy to trust God with things in which you have no control over. It is easy to trust God on things in which you and I have zero control over. But do you know where our trust is really put into, the really, that tension is really embraced? You have control over your finances. But you and I, we go through this tension. How much should I give enough to 10% before tax, after tax? We play these mental games with ourselves to try to dance around it. But God is putting you and I to a challenge. Offer to God what is already his. Offer to God what is already his. I'm bringing up finances because this is a stressful point, and statistics show this is one of the main points of marital issues and in life issues comes on the finances. I'm not going to mention the other two. You can look it up later. But that's a major issue in many marriages when it comes to finances and in life in general. Why? We want to have full control over it. We want to have full control over it. Because there's so many things I can't control in, in life. But what I can't control, I'm going to make sure that I have full control over it. If you want to take this step of faith of trusting God, trust God on something in which you already have control over. And see what he will do. The enemy wants to tell you you have nothing. 
You have no gifts. You have no resources. You're not good at anything. There is a whisper that will come and get us at, at some point in time, if not already. And he will whisper those things. Your value, man, no one, like you got nothing to offer. There is a whisper that's going to tell you that. Look and see what's in your hands and offer that to God. If I invited you, I, I would not do this, but if I invited you to my house and I, gave, and I said, hey, I need your help cleaning the house. And then I offered you a broom. Would you say, oh, thanks, Father Nate. Do you, do you want me to, you know, you want me to uh, do the lawn? I give you a broom. You, I'm not telling you to, 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 to do the lawn. If I give you a broom, then use what the broom is for. God has given you something. So don't ask, God, what, what, what should I do? If you're holding a broom, just, God, what should I do? No, assess the gifts in which you have been entrusted with and give that back to him. I'm telling you, intentionally, God has given each one of us a specific gift to make an impact in this temporal world. So we have to, to, diagnose, we have to know what is the enemy's voice of telling us, you, you got nothing going for you, you have no value, your worth is not that as much as you think. There is an enemy trying to whisper that in our ear. This, uh, this gentleman here is by the name of St. Gregory of Nyssa. In the year 380 AD, he wrote a book, just a, maybe a journal writing. We, we title it a book now, but he wrote some writings titled On the Resurrection. This singular event, the resurrection, literally transformed the course of world history. It was this event that took 12 skeptics to be followers of Jesus. This is what radicalized everyone being a follower of Jesus. Death, man, they thought, man, that was a waste of three years. But when they realized his resurrection, him leaving the tomb empty, this is what transformed everyone's view of who he was. So St. Gregory wrote this beautiful thing in the year 388 AD. So if you can follow along with me, these are these beautiful words from the year 388 AD. St. Gregory says this. Yesterday, I was crucified with him. Today, I am glorified with him. Yesterday, I died with him. Today, I am quickened. I am empowered. I, I, I'm stepping up with him. Yesterday, I was buried with him. Today, I rise with him. So he's, do, he's going back and forth. I, I, I died with him. I write. He's talking about this journey, of, this intimate journey he's, he's going with Jesus. Yes, I, I, I went down to put, to put to death my sins, but I rose with him. I journey with him. He turns left, I turn left. He turns right, I turn right. But let us offer to him who suffered and rose again for us. Let us offer ourselves the possession most precious to God and most fitting. Let us give back to the image what is made after the image. What is he saying? Give back to the image, Jesus, who was made after the image. If Jesus is the image of God the Father, let us give back to the image who was made after the image. You guys with me? All right? Join your nap? Everyone good? Good. Let us recognize our dignity. Let us honor our archetype. Like if we are a type of the archetype. Like we are made beautifully to be a type of God. Like to be a reflection of him. So let us honor our archetype. But I love how he says, let us recognize our dignity. Do you recognize your self-value? Do you recognize your self-worth? Do you recognize the dignity in which you you, that's built within you that comes from your heavenly father? St. Gregory is, is, is drilling this to a group of early Christians. Let us recognize our dignity. Let us honor our archetype. Let us know the power of the mystery and for what Christ died. I mean, he's speaking with so much power and so much emotion for us to know our dignity, our worth. If we know our worth, 
then, then it's easy for me then to offer to myself because I know who I belong to. Then I want to give that to others. Then I realize I don't really don't own anything. Nothing I have is actually mine. My marriage, is, I have been entrusted with it to edify me as a man of God. My resources, my gifts, my finances, I have been entrusted with that to make an impact. It's not for me. It's not actually mine. I need to offer that back to, in the words of St. Gregory, the archetype. Give, offer, and pray and see what God will do with that. Challenge him. Offer to him what is his and see what he will do. I'm not calling out anybody, so I'm not going to look at anybody. Husbands, let us offer what we have been entrusted with in our marriage, with our kids. Not run away from it, not hide at work, not whatever. Let us offer what we have been entrusted with. Let's be present. Parents, let's be present. Let's be there. To, 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 let's offer what we, we, time, time is a gift. Let us offer that. Our finances, there's always this tension of what's the next big, next big vacation or thing we need to do. Okay, fabulous, do all that. I'm, and I'm not, not saying anything wrong about that. But offer to him what is, you, what is his. Embrace that tension of those things that you say, this is mine. Hold on to that loosely. Whatever we think is mine, God might give us a little subtle nudge to say, what you title as yours is not really yours. It's actually mine, but I haven't entrusted. You're renting it. So let us offer ourselves, but embrace that tension. That, that tension might not be finances for you. It might be something else. But offer that to him and see what he will do. Let us learn from this widow. And it's let us hear the voice of God, in this, in this sense, Elijah, giving her a little nudge. Offer and see what you got. What you got. And leave the rest to God. I pray today in life groups as we discuss this that this sparks a little tension within us. Where is that thing in which you need to offer? Here are a few of the questions for those who are in life group in which you guys will discuss. Time and time again, God loves to push people out of their comfort zone for them to grow. Elijah was no exception. When have you ever been pushed outside of your comfort zone? Have you ever said no to something out of fear of what would happen? Like Elijah was pushed out of his comfort zone to go speak to this, this woman, Elijah, but it brought a great impact to her. By the way, Jewish tradition says this widow and the son. Does anybody know Jewish tradition who, who ended up being the son? You know, actually, huh? Jonah. So yeah, so Jewish tradition would say this, the widow, this widow's son ends up being Jonah. Just, your, uh, just in case you're on Jeopardy. What are your gifts? Point out someone else's gift in, in your life. What are your gifts? Like to, to say you don't have any gifts, you are offending the one who entrusted you with the, You're offending the maker of you and me. So you have gifts. What are yours? Point out someone else's gift in your life. Group. Point number three. What is that one thing? What is that one thing in which you feel the tension in which you feel compelled to offer that to God? Challenge. I've never heard someone take that step of trusting him and offering something to God, and then they come back and says, you know what, Father Nate, I regret doing that. Like, that was the worst decision. I've never heard anyone say that. It's the exact opposite. He said, you know what, I really embraced that tension. I gave, I offered, and I saw God do amazing things. Embrace that tension. 
and offer to God what is ultimately his in the first place. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, all of us have this tension of holding on to things tightly, thinking that we own it. But Lord, we know that our life is literally in the palm of your hand. Lord, we surrender our logic, our ego, our struggles. We surrender that to you and know that you have our entire life perfectly coordinated out to make an impact in this world. Lord, we want to see in the way you see. We want to be a light of you to those around us. Lord, I pray that we can learn from this widow of us to offer to God, be genuine, be real, speak the truth in love, and see what God will do in response when we offer to him what is ultimately his. Lord, I pray that we can fight this, this battle within us, this consumeristic battle of what's in it for me, but we can respond in the same way the disciples did when you challenged them to grow and to do that they accepted that challenge and their life was never the same. And we desire the same for ourselves, for us not just to settle for okay and just follow you passively, but we want to give back what you have given us in the first place. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. We will continue part four next Sunday.